0: Well, guys, uh, this is a very, very uh, significant message. I think it's already up there, so you've already been able to take a peek in Christ. For those of you that have been around Ellerslie long enough, you would say, wasn't there a sermon back on in April of 2010 of that name? You'd, of course, have to be fairly astute to come up with all that information. But it was Resurrection Sunday. Uh, In April, I don't remember the exact date, but uh, April 4th is my guess. Uh, In 2010, yes, I gave a message called In Christ. And it was a very special day. And this is a reprise uh, of that. Uh, My kids have all these Bible videos, and Charlton Heston comes on, and he's sitting there. And there's always this preview for Ben-Hur, the the cartoon version of Ben-Hur. And it always says, and Charlton Heston reprising his role as Judah Ben-Hur. Well, this is Eric Ludi reprising his role as Eric Lutie, uh giving in Christ. Uh, this is one of the most significant messages in the Christian world. Not saying because I'm giving it, the idea behind it. What you are about to hear is literally the nuts and bolts of what holds the whole thing together. Now, the reason I decided to give this is because we have... Uh, 20-plus baptisms today in the lake, which, by the way, all of you are invited to uh, come to and enjoy. We love baptisms here at Ellerslie. They are a celebration. If you want to laugh, come to a baptism uh, because it is truly a joy-filled experience. And what baptism is is a celebration, an acknowledgement in this natural realm what is in this message. Okay, So I had a completely different message uh, that I worked on all week. God does this to me every now and then. And then on Saturday morning, I literally felt him put the brakes on it and say, no, I want you to do something completely different. And this is the message that came out. Now, this isn't the same message I gave on April 4th, but it's the same content, same idea behind it. So it's a very different message, very unique, and I think you're going to enjoy it. But to get the most out of this, we need God to help us. We need him to help us here. We need him to help me communicate this. This is a message so far beyond what I'm able to deliver. And there's so much more nuance and robustness to this message that in a human way, is you can't pass it on. So let's ask for God to do it. Father, we just submit ourselves to you with great expectancy this morning. May Jesus be crowned king in our midst, and may the realities of his cross work be seen and made evidenced in our lives, in our minds, in our understandings. Lord, I pray that you would give me a fervor and an unction to be able to deliver your truth the way it must be delivered. And I pray that you would give every single person here the ability to comprehend the depths, the fullness, the breadth, the height, the width of your great truth. Lord Jesus, may we find ourselves in Christ. It's in the precious name of our great King Jesus we pray. Amen. So this message is dedicated to all those that are going to be baptized today. I want you to be able to look back at this message and listen to it in the years to come and say that is my personal message. That is my life message. Okay? And if you're going to have a life message, not a bad one. Okay? And there's a key word in the title. And you would most of you would say, "Well, Christ, yeah, that's I mean, can you get a more important person?" No. But that's actually not the word I'm focused on. It's in in christ now what i'm about to go through is something that if you've hung around ellerslie for any length of time you've heard me talk about okay so this isn't a novel truth a new idea this is an age old concept and even at ellerslie you could call it age old i talk about it all the time i think about it all the time this is my meditation and it's an issue of position what is your position And your answer as a Christian is, I am in Christ Jesus. Realtors are always talking about location, location, location. Well, the Bible and the gospel is all about location, location, location. What is your spiritual location? Are you in Christ or are you outside of Christ? Now, for most of us, that's sort of like a perplexing type of question. It's like, well, I don't know exactly what you mean by that, which is why we have this message. Okay, Now this is something that you need to be thinking about and pondering every day of your life. You need to understand it at the depths of your being. And like food, you eat food every day. Why? Because your body needs to be constantly nurtured and fed. There is an importance of constant daily impartation into your physical body to keep it strong and healthy and working the way it ought to work. The same with your spiritual life. You need food. You need truth. You need the bread of life. You need Jesus Christ within. You need the sustenance, the nourishment of heavenly manna daily. You really do. And what that heavenly manna is, is Jesus Christ, which is the word of God, which is in text and in person. Okay, which we're going to go into that, what that means. And so what you're going to notice is that there's two very interesting things. Seemingly contradictory thoughts that are going to be floating around as I'm giving this message. And one is that you must be in something. And also that something must be in you. Okay, It's like, well, which, one's, which one's more important, Eric? Which one's the truth? You can't just be in something and then focus on something being in you. Well, the way the Christian life works is both and. You must be in the right thing. And the right thing must be in you. Otherwise, Christianity does not operate as it should. Okay? So, what we're going to focus on is first things first. In Christ. One of the classic stories uh, that has been used to demonstrate the concept of in Christ that I've always loved is the illustration of the Chinese-Japanese War where... The Japanese came in and they did a very tactical maneuver against the, the Chinese. And that is that they came in and the first operation they did in the battles were to destroy all the tanks. And then the Japanese carted over all their tanks and began to mow down the entire countryside of the Chinese because the Chinese had no defense against tanks. The defense against a tank is a tank. And the first thing they did is wipe out the, uh, the Chinese tanks. Now the Chinese had no defenses. This so it was a bad situation for the Chinese. And so the Chinese hatched a plan. And their plan, to most of us here, would, would seem like a very paltry plan, a very unusual plan. However, it worked. And that is that they assigned snipers, men who had a very strong ability to be able to hit a target from a long distance away with a gun, and so these men would sit in you know some covering in the, the Chinese snipers, and they would see the tanks which would be sitting there, and there would be a tank driver in there, and so they would uh, shoot a bullet at the tank, and it would bounce off the tank. Ba-ding! Ba-ding! And so the tank driver would be like, what? 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 And he, I, I don't actually know what he was saying inside the tank.) Uh, That's my Japanese. For those of you that know Japanese, you can interpret later. Uh, But then it let, even if it's 15 minutes, pass. And then suddenly, it hit it again. Now, what should you do if you're the Japanese tank driver? What is the wise and logical thing to do even? Stay in the tank. Now, here's what's funny. The same thing could be said to you. If you are in a tank, spiritually... If you find yourself a refuge spiritually, a bulwark about you spiritually, and you start hearing some bullet fire outside, there's a curiosity that I guess can begin to stir within us, and we want to find out where it's coming from. Now, how stupid is that? But you know what happened to every single one of these Japanese tank drivers? They fell for the exact same thing. And that was over hours, periods of time this random bullet would strike their tank, and they got so curious, they wanted to see where this was coming from. And they had no visibility as long as they were in the tank. So they would stick their head out of the tank. Can't you just see this happening? The guy's like... (laughs) And he is shot between the eyes. He's dealing with a sniper. And the Chinese regained the Japanese tanks by that exact strategy. Now, we can look at that, and we can say, what idiots... And I could look at your spiritual life and say the same thing. The key to Christianity is you must know your position and then you must maintain your position. Your position in Christianity is everything. You go back uh, in time and you have multiple illustrations of this throughout the Old Testament. So let's go to Genesis and we have Noah. Noah is building an ark and the rains are going to come. Judgment is going to come on the earth and every man that is not inside that ark, and I should say woman too, but every man or woman that is not inside that ark will come under judgment. And so the key is, you must be inside the ark. Could you imagine being on the outside of the ark and just sort of hanging on to the outside? What happens to you? You die. The key is you must be inside the ark. And the text is very clear that they entered into the ark. Now most of us would say, well, that's obvious. Yeah, but I want you to realize that's a symbol of something. That is the saving device known as the ark. And those that are inside the ark are saved. If you are not inside the ark, you are judged. And the wrath of God comes upon you. Okay? And then you have another picture. You have this death angel, this destroying angel that is passing over Egypt. Now, the Israelites are given a cue. A clue, if you will. They are told what to do. It's called a command. They are told what to do to ensure their life, and that is they are to seek blood upon the top of their doorposts and upon the sides of their doorposts. And somehow, this destroying angel knows that if he sees blood, he passes over. It's called the Passover. So the key is, you had to be inside your house. That was the direct command to all the Israelites. You must be in the house that is marked by blood. Okay? You're starting to see a foreshadow here. And anyone who is in that house is preserved from that destruction that is coming upon Egypt, which is also known as the world. Okay? It's the house of blood. Okay? Okay? This is just a foreshadow of something very, very important, knowing especially that Jesus died on the Passover. What did he die to create, to present, to bequeath to the saints of God? A house of blood. Something to actually enter into. A safe place. A fortress. Okay. Now, I've used this illustration multiple times, but it can't hurt for you to hear it again. If you're standing near a plane... That plane has the ability to do something that you as a human cannot do. And that is, it can defy the law of gravity. You see, you have something called the law of sin and death that holds down your life. And no matter how sincere you are in your desire to serve Jesus, your desire to live holy, your desire to be perfect, your desire to evidence and show forth love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As much as you yearn to do it, you are unable because of a law that holds you down. Just as you have a law that holds you down from being able to flap your arms and fly across the Atlantic Ocean. You may have a sincere desire to fly with your arms, but you can't because of the law of gravity. Okay, Now, you can esteem the plane. You can sing songs about the plane. You can write uh, poetry about the plane. You can talk to the plane all day long. However, if you stand near the plane... Even if you're an inch away, even sort of brushing up against it and scratching your back, you still do not have the merits that are in that plane. That plane, when it takes off, will not take you with it if you are not inside of it. You see, a lot of us Christians stand near the plane or we lay on top of it. And we're hanging on and we're like, you know, look how close I am. There's no problem with me. Look at me. You know all the trivia about that plane. You even know what makes it fly. But that plane's virtue, that plane's merit, that plane's ability is not yours unless you are inside of it. The funny thing is, you don't need to do anything. All you need to do is get inside the plane. And guess what? If you're inside the plane, your response or the behavior of your actual life completely alters. All you have to do is be inside, and suddenly when that plane takes off, you're flying. And guess what? As you're flying, there's nothing you need to do to keep it flying other than to remain in the plane. That plane flies. It was built to fly. You were not. Your job is to be in that plane. Your job is to be in. And when you are in, the plane does the work that you cannot do. If you get cocky halfway over the Atlantic... And say, so, you know what, this isn't that hard. I'm sure it has something to do with my virtue that we are actually flying right now. And so you're like, I don't need a plane. I can flap my wings. I think I got this figured out, okay? That law of gravity has really always been a nuisance to me. But now, I've gone two hours without it hindering me. Watch, world, as I show you how the human life works. And then you pop your head out of the plane. Guess what? Outside that plane, the law of gravity is still in effect. You know your secret for dealing with the law of sin and death? Otherwise known as the old man, your flesh? Get in to the plane. Get in to Jesus Christ. And when you're in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that the law of sin and death is abolished in the the sense that it doesn't exist. It means that you are dead to its power. When you are in the plane, you are dead to the law of gravity. You are alive unto the law of aerodynamics. Your key in Christianity is that you must be in Jesus Christ. And no longer does the law of sin and death hold rulership over your body. But now you are under a higher law known as the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I have also used the illustration of clothing. Imagine there's a pile of clothes there. You know when Hudson gets out of his clothes, he leaves them in a pile. And so there they are, a pile. And Daddy comes in and looks at the pile and goes, hmm, uh, that pile needs to go into the dirty clothes. Okay, but there's a pile. Now imagine that someone said, do you have your clothes? Do you have your spiritual clothing? You say, absolutely, absolutely I do. And you point to the floor and there's a pile of clothes. What good do clothes do if they're in a pile? Are they doing their work for you? What are clothes supposed to do? They're supposed to cover you. Okay, so imagine that, you know, someone says, you know, that that isn't appropriate. You know, you standing there without any clothes on. That's illegal, technically, in our country. Okay, you're supposed to have the clothes doing their proper work for you. So you step on top of them. You're like, I am actually touching my clothes right now. However, to be on top of your clothes or near your clothes does not allow your clothes to function as they ought to function. The key for clothing is you must be inside of it. The final... Illustration. By the way, because Jesus is called clothing. okay. All these illustrations actually apply, except for the plain, because Jesus isn't called a plain in the New Testament. But he has plenty of other things that lead us to understand what that is. Imagine that we have a strong fortress here. okay, And it has walls of stone five feet thick. Now imagine how nice it would be to know that there is such a refuge and such a fortress that you, you could have, because there's fiery darts from the enemy that are constantly being shot at you. How stupid would it be to hug the outside of the fortress and to say, I have a fortress. Thank you, fortress, for being here. And then what's happening with all the arrows? As you're like this, all the arrows are out there. They're hitting you without any obstruction. Now you are hugging the fortress. You are esteeming the fortress. You're praising the fortress. You know all the merit of the fortress, but the merit of the fortress is not yours. Unless you get inside of it. Now, I know this is very obvious, but I want you to realize how many of us as Christians stand near the truth. But we do not enter into it. And as a result, the efficacious nature of it is not bequeathed to us. You must be inside of that fortress. And guess what? When you're inside that fortress, same arrow. In fact, multiply that arrow by 10 billion. All of them shot at that five-foot thick. Stone structure. I don't care if it's 10 billion arrows that are coming. If you are inside of it, not one of them will touch you. If you have the right position and you know what your position is, the enemy no longer has sway over your life. Here's the principle Those fi- that five foot thick wall, which we technically could say five billion feet thick, whatever helps you get the understanding that this is an impenetrable barrier. Jesus cannot be gotten through. Period. When we hear about the shield of faith, we oftentimes think of a little plastic thing. I want you to picture a five million thick, five million thick, five million foot thick shield of solid something, diamond. That's what is being held up. It's Jesus Christ. He is your clothing. He is your armor. He is your fortress. If something sinful Could not get through Jesus when he was here. It cannot get through you now if you are in him. Could lust get through Jesus when he was here? No. Could fear get through Jesus? No. If it can't get through Jesus, it can't get to you if you are in Christ Jesus. This is an issue of location. The secret to the gospel is you must enter into Christ. I know this sounds like just a grammatical turn. Sort of like, what's Eric doing with the Word of God here? He's just sort of massaging it a little to make some kind of weird point. I want you to realize this isn't me. What I'm about to go through is an introduction to the entire gospel of Jesus Christ on this exact point. I'm going to go through the entire New Testament and lay it out before you. In fact, to these notes that I'm giving you, which you can download either, we'll, we'll try and make, if you want them even today, we can somehow make them available to you today, but they will be on the online downloadable notes. There's an appendix with it, about 10 pages long, which go through all of the individual chapters of the New Testament and how Paul or, uh, let's see, or John used this concept about being in him, in whom, in Christ. It's a locational thing. And the writers of the New Testament understood it. And that's what they were passing along. It's known as the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? So we're going to go through this. You see, what is wrapped about us isn't just stone. Remember how we talked about the Passover and we said it's a blood house. It's a house of blood. It's a house sealed. It's a fortress. And as long as you are in it, the destroying angel has no power over you or will pass over you. Okay? The same thing is true for all sin and all darkness. They have no sway over your soul if you are in this house. Well, this house, it's sort of strange because most of us don't really like the picture, the mental picture of a house of blood. However, that's precisely what this is, okay? Because the shield that you have, the armor that you have is what is known as the life of God. The life in the Hebrew culture is the blood. And Jesus gave up his blood and he held it out as a cloak, as a robe, Known in Isaiah 61 as the robe of righteousness, he said, Get inside of this robe, and this is your salvation. This is your righteousness. Because without this robe, you have no access into the throne room of grace. Unless you are perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly loving, unless you are exactly as God is, without a hint of flesh, without a hint of self, you have no access into his presence. But God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would have this life. This life isn't just some life in the future. Because when we hear eternal life, we're always thinking, oh, someday. This life is present tense. This life is available to you. It is known as the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the life of God imparted. Okay, So God has created an avenue through which you can actually enter into his throne room because his life is without spot or blemish. His life is without sin. And so when you're clothed in his life, you are able to enter in under the auspices of his perfection. You are seen through the eyes of the Father as Christ is. It's the great secret to entry into the throne room of grace. It's not on your merit. What did you do to earn your way in? Nothing. It's what he did. And your job is to simply take what he did. If he holds out a cloak of righteousness and says, get in it. You don't argue. You don't dicker. You say, that's my only source of salvation. And you accept it. And that's what it means to believe. You believe that his work is sufficient for you. And you act upon your belief, which is part of believing, called reckoning. And you take that which has been offered to you and you get in it. He's known as the door. He's known as the way to the Father. He is the access in. He simply says, come, come. And that's all we do. You know what? He's the one that also picks us up and brings us in. He's the author of salvation from beginning to end. He is the one that does it inside of us, through us, to us our God, our Jesus, our Savior. So when we talk about the precious blood of Christ, which is the term in 1 Peter 1.19, precious, beyond value. It is impossible to put value upon the life, the blood of God. So what was this precious blood of Christ for? Now, this is straight out of Scripture, and I'd love you to study this at the end of the week or whenever you want these notes. But this is just strictly a summation of what the Bible says the blood of Christ is for. Just the blood of Christ. And it has to mention the blood of Christ to be included in this list. It's for atonement, which means to pacify and propitiate and to reconcile us with God. For propitiation, it's a just and satisfying offering in our stead. Because your sin, there has to be a satisfying element of justice for it. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ. He was a propitiation for our sin. And His blood satisfied our God and the justice that was required for our justification from sin. Which means before the bar of justice we are seen as justified or as just before Him. What did you do to deserve that? Nothing! Except for believe on Him. Allow Him to enfold you in His righteousness. For the forgiveness of sins, you know that there is not one sin that falls outside of what that blood can overcome and deal with. It forgives them all. For the remission of sins, the literal removal. For the cleansing, washing from all sin. You are cleansed, washed at the deepest level, as it says, so that you are whiter than snow. Not just white as snow, whiter than snow. Take the whitest thing you know and then say whiter than that. To the whiteness of Jesus Christ. For the purging of our consciences, which means you do not need to keep that lingering, plaguing accusation. That guilt, that even though you're forgiven of it, you still feel guilty about what you did. You don't even need to feel the guilt anymore. Jesus has satisfied it, forgiven it, cleansed and washed it, removed it from you as far as the east is from the west. And now, he wants you to know that he has purged your conscience as well. For peace... Peace with God. Peace within. Only those that have understood the blood of Jesus Christ understand what peace truly is. It's not circumstantial. It's not based on the fact that the stock market's doing well today or that your football team won on Sunday. It's based on the fact that you know you're in Christ Jesus. And you know that the enemy no longer has any accusation against you. There is no more condemnation that hovers over your life. For reconciliation unto Christ, there is no more barrier between you and a deep, intimate relationship with your God. For righteousness, which means you have to supply righteousness to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The requirements of the law state that you must live in accordance to perfection with the law of God to be able to have access into His presence. Only the righteous will be saved. And you come at God with no righteousness of your own. You say, God, I have nothing. I'm empty-pocketed. He says, get into me, and I will supply you the righteousness. Christian history is oftentimes called it a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that is not of you. It's a righteousness that is bequeathed to you from God himself. It is for the purpose of saving us from the wrath that will come. How will it do that? Because Jesus has absorbed that wrath. And so when you are in him, the wrath is already satiated. If you are outside of him, you are not saved from the wrath that will come. But if you are in Jesus Christ, that wrath is already satiated. For the destruction of the devil. I love that one. I love the word destruction and devil being in the same sentence as long as they're tied together. I want to see his works completely destroyed. And guess what? That's precisely what happens through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's done. 2,000 years ago, his works were destroyed. His operation, his kingdom was undermined by the king of kings. For overcoming the devil. You've always wanted to know if the devil could be overcome. Not in your strength. But in the blood of Jesus, yes. You have everything you need to overcome the devil. And by the way, when we talk about a fortress, it sounds like a defensive station. In other words, you get in the fortress to be defended from the arrows. But I want you to realize it is defensive, but God sticks your fortress on wheels and sends you towards the enemy camp. He literally marches his saints upon the gates of hell and he says, They shall not prevail against the church. We're offensive, not defensive. This is for overcoming the devil. It's for redemption, which means the purchasing. The eternal redemption for the purchase of our very beings. Your body, which was owned by sin and the devil, has now been a transaction of blood. And you were purchased by the life of God. You belong to him now. It's for the purpose of giving us life within. Eternal life. God is not interested in just removing the effects of the devil. He's interested in giving you new life. It's for bringing back to life. You're sick of being dead? The blood of Jesus Christ brings you back to life. For sanctification, which means the process of being made holy. You will be made holy in Christ, in the blood of Jesus. For spiritual and physical healing. For boldness to enter into the holy of holies, the very presence of God. For the purpose of enabling us to make our daily, hourly, minute-by-minute home in Christ Jesus. That is one great list. here's what I'm going to do. You know how impressive that list is? A lot of us may know some of the things on that list. What I'd like to introduce you to is the fullness of what it says in the New Testament in regards to being in Christ. Because this is just what's described as the blood. The blood and Christ are similar. They're the same thing. They're synonymous with each other. The Bible, when you study, you need to understand how synonyms work, synonym concepts, And so that you can study multiple concepts together and then compile them together and you begin to see a more robust picture of what the gospel is about. First, I want to introduce you to this concept that there is clothing on you. You come, when you first are finding out about Jesus Christ, you have clothing on you. It's called the old man, the old deeds, the pattern of sin. This is what you are caked in. It's known as the body of death. So off with the old and on with the new. There is literally a taking off, a shedding of an old covering, an old defense. What you used to put your faith in, what you used to find your confidence in, it was you. It was the power of sin over you. Now you are transferring that confidence and that faith into something entirely new. Colossians 2 says, for in him, you'll notice I made in him rather big because I'm making a point here. You see, in Christ is a locational thing that is enunciated all throughout the New Testament. So what we see in Colossians 2 is this. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom, speaking of being in Christ, also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ you ever tried to remove your old man from you? That sinful propensity? Try it. Wrestle with it for a few months. Try and rip away that sinful propensity. Get it away from you. You can't. You know what circumcision is? It's a cutting. It's a cutting off, but of what? Flesh. It's a removal of the flesh. And what we see is, in Christ... You are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. This isn't a human operation. In the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses." In Ephesians 4, it says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man. Put it off. Take it off. Undress, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. In Colossians 3, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Speaking to the church of Colossae, and he's saying, yeah, you put this off, didn't you? Why would you continue in this behavior? You've already put off this old man with his deeds. And some of us in the church today... We're sort of looking at this going, uh, so I put off? Well, you may not have, which is why this message is important. You see, if you're not discipled, then you don't know that you're supposed to put off things and put on things. Discipleship walks you through the gospel. It walks you through the work of the cross to bring about a healthy understanding of what he did and what you should expect in your spiritual life. For as many as you, many of you as have put have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You see when you come into Christ and you're baptized into Christ, remember what this message is leading to this afternoon? Baptism. When you are baptized into Christ, it says they have put on Christ. It only makes sense. But one of the symbols of baptism is not just death to the old man and leaving it behind. Cuz when you go down, it's like a burial. It's a death. And it's identifying in the death of Christ Jesus. And when you come up, you are being clothed in Christ Jesus. And you are leaving. You are putting off an old man. And you are being clothed in Christ Jesus. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a strange statement. Put you on as if he's clothing. He is. He is clothing. Put you on. This is a direct command. Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61. The very same scripture. This isn't the exact scripture, but the same chapter in the Bible that Jesus got up in front of his people And announced, this has been fulfilled in your presence. Isaiah 61. This is what he came to do. Was to provide a house of blood. Was to provide a covering, a shield, a cloak of righteousness around his people. There's more to it than that though. It's not to just get us into heaven. It's not to just get us into the presence of the Father. I'm about to unveil for you that there is so much more than just what we typically understand that robe to be. It's not just an invitation in. Remember how I said there's two things that we are going to be seen. They look like they contradict each other. Because as I say, it's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Some of you in here could say, well, isn't there something in the gospel? I'm not exactly positive, but isn't there something in the gospel about God being in you? Why is all the focus today on you being in Christ? We'll we'll get to that. 46 Outrageous Wills of the Christ Clothing. Now that title doesn't make any sense until I go through this. You see, what I'm just about to do is I'm about to become more definite and more sure than most Christians feel comfortable being. However, it's not confidence in my opinion. It's confidence in what the Word of God says. See, the Word of God in 46 different spots in the New Testament makes a very clear enunciation of what comes to the saints of God when they are in Christ Jesus. This is merely a collection of those things. I'm not taking anything out that is said in a different context. There's plenty of other things that are said in the Bible, but you'll realize... That the Bible when looked at, the New Testament when looked at in whole, in this very concept of being in Christ, so the three studies are in Christ, in Him, and in whom. And this is the 46 things that come out of it. And you'll realize, wow. Now what I'm going to do in each sentence that I give you, I'm going to make the word will be very big. You see, I could say something like, I may go to the zoo this afternoon. You know... You know, if I say that to my kids, that we might do that, my kids know that Daddy's you know hedging a little. In other words, I don't want to make a commitment because when Daddy says will, he's bound to it. So Daddy, if he's not exactly sure how things are going to work, uses words like might, may, will see. Okay, because you don't want to put a false hope However, I might be leaning in that direction, but I do not want to make a concrete, rock like determination of something that I can't back up with my life. Well, God makes a concrete, rock like statement on 46 points. When the Bible speaks, it means it. It says the words of Scripture, the words of God, are purified seven times over. In other words, they are measured. When God is going to speak in His Word, which, by the way, the Bible is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain words of God. It is the Word of God. So when it speaks, we can build our life upon it as a wise man builds his life or his house upon a rock. You want to build this life correctly? You build upon the Word of God. I'm about to give you 46 things that you can build your life upon, and I'm going to use the word will. Not God may do this. God might and God's saying, we'll see, for some people, these are definite, unshakable, unequivocal wills. Okay? So that's what it means by 46 outrageous wills of the Christ clothing. Number one, we will bear much fruit. Number two, we will be made alive to God. Number three, there will be no more condemnation hanging over our lives. Number four, we will be made free from the law of sin and death. Number five, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. By the way, some of these scriptures are sounding familiar to you. You're like, oh, I recognize that. Oh, that's good old classic Romans 8.1. Well, now let's look at Romans 8.1 a little closer because here I don't have the actual scripture mapped out for you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Location, location, location. When you begin to study this, you realize that the writers of the New Testament didn't accidentally say it the way they did. This is the gospel. You must be in Christ Jesus, not near him, but Lord, we did all these things in your name. They did a lot of extraordinary things. I never knew you. Depart from me. Please, Lord, may that not be us. May we be found in him on the judgment day. You know what our singular plea is? I am in Christ Jesus. That's our plea. My righteousness is his righteousness. It's not my own. That's our plea. What is your entry? What is your passport into the throne room? Into his presence? It's not you. It's not anything you have done. It is what he did 2,000 years ago. And 5,000 years from now, that is still your passport. It is Him. It will always be Him. And we will always praise the great work of the Lamb of God. These things are facts to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you start standing on these things as facts, as opposed to poetry in the Bible, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. But you must be in him. We will have access to wisdom, to the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption of God. All the promises of God will be yes and amen to us. Our spiritual lives will be established and anointed. Number nine, we will be led forth in triumph. Number 10, he will diffuse through our lives the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Number 11, the veil that shrouds our spiritual sight will be taken away. Number 12, we will become new creations. All things will become new. Number 13, the complexities of life will be made simple. Each one of these is a study and you would thoroughly enjoy it if you went through this and studied it out. In the appendix, I have all these scriptures laid out in full so you can go through them all. Number 14, we will from henceforth live by the power of God. Number 15, we will have an astounding liberty to now do that which is right. Number 16, we will become sons of God. Number 17, we will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Number 18, we will be chosen to be holy and without blame. Number 19, we will obtain an inheritance. Number 20, we will be made to sit with him in heavenly places. Number 21, we will be made to know the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. Number 22, we will have works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Number 23, we will be brought intimately near into his very presence and we will have boldness and confidence in our approach unto his throne. Number 24, we will become the very temple of the Lord, the very dwelling place of God. Number 25, we, the Gentiles, will become fellow heirs and partakers of the promises. Number 26, we will have power to rejoice. Number 27, we will have a prize set before us of the upward call of God. Number 28, we will have access into all the fullness of God. Number 29, we will be clothed in his perfection. Number 30, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge will be made available to us. Number 31, we will abound in thanksgiving. Number 32, we will be made complete. Number 33, we will be circumcised from the sins of the flesh. Number 34, we will have the promise of life. Number 35, we will be given a holy, holy calling. Number 36, we will be supplied an empowering grace. Number 37, we will have faith and love. You know how I was having a discussion yesterday with someone over the issue of... If we're feeling weak in our faith, we're feeling languid in our love. The secret is location, location, location. Because there is a promise that goes with being in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you can hold them to his word. I'm in you. That means I get faith and love. That means I will have this. These are legally binding things with the throne room of heaven. You have a legal position and you can leverage it. This is the promises of God. And all of them are yes and amen to those who are in him. Yes. Amen. That's God's answer. If you come to him with any of these things, the love of God will be perfected in us. God, you you promised that the love of God will be perfected in me. And he goes, yes and amen. Says, yes and amen. That's the answer. It always will be the answer. You're in Christ Jesus. You must see this. Don't just get near Christ. Don't just smell his perfume. You must be in him. The saving work of God is available to those who enter who take, who find the merit of the work of the cross because they are in Christ Jesus. The love of God. Oh, oh, there's 38. I don't want to skip these. 38, we will have salvation. Number 39, there will be no more darkness. 40, the love of God will be perfected in us. Number 41, we will not be ashamed before him at his coming. You do not need to fear his coming. You are in Christ Jesus. Number 42, we will purify ourselves just as he is pure. Number 43, we will not sin. 1 John is uncomfortably straightforward. If you are in Christ, you will not sin. Gold. That's good news. That's a promise. In other words, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Power of gravity, as long as you're in the plane, does not have power over you. However, the power of gravity outside that plane is still a very real force. And even though you are circumcised in the power of the old man in the flesh, he will still knock on the windows of your life, and he will bait you, and he'll say that you are a debtor to him, and that you owe him a favor. After all that Friday night pleasure he's given you in the past, you owe him a Friday night. That flesh will not cease. The enemy will not cease to come against your soul. You are in hostile territory and you must be on guard. And you must remain and abide in your king. If you find yourself outside of Christ, you find yourself once again in the flesh and in Adam, as it would say, and in the behavior of the old man's deeds, you repent and you walk right back into that blood house. Without hesitation, without faltering, your solution is not in penance that you pay Your solution always has been and always will be from this moment forward as it has been up to this moment. Jesus Christ and his shed blood. You must find the satiation for your issues, for your blunders, for your faults in nothing but Jesus Christ and his clothing. Do not look elsewhere. Do not spurn the blood of the covenant. If you look elsewhere for a solution, that is spurning the blood of the covenant. I don't need that blood. That is spurning the blood you need that blood you need that house stay in it ask anything number 44 anything we ask according to his will he will hear us number 45 we will know him that's that's pure beauty right there we will know him take that to god today god i will know you i will know you number 46 We will know his great mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. Now you notice, that's sort of mysterious. I changed it from what it actually is, which is number 46, to that. Because I want to bait you a little. We will know his great mystery. And then you're like, well, what's the great mystery? Well, that's half the fun of this message. I need to hide the great mystery from you. But it's number 46. It's the crowning jewel of being in Christ. Okay, so if any of you have ever watched the gospel video, and you know when I said all those things can be rolled up into one ball and they still fall short of the final one. Uh, Little hint. Those of you that haven't watched the video are like, what, what's going on here? I like it. Uh, So number 46, we will know his great mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. There is revealed in Scripture a mystery. And it says over and over in Scripture that it's been hidden. For ages and generations, but it's now been revealed. Uh, The mystery hidden for ages and generations. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, this is Paul talking, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret. Isn't that intriguing? It's this mystery that's been kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. In other words, this mystery is necessary because there is a faith and there is a requirement of obedience unto it. You can read the scriptures, but you need to obey them. How are you going to do that? Because some of us have tried. We've tried to obey the scriptures. We can't. We fail every time and it's sickening. We loathe ourselves. What's wrong with me? I can see it, I can read it, I can esteem it, but I can't fly. I'm staring at the plane day in and day out, but I can't fly like that plane. God, I'm trying to imitate you, but I I can't. The secret to imitation is not imitation as we Think the secret to imitation is impartation. Look at this last line: for obedience to the faith, this mystery has been revealed, so that now there can be obedience to this faith. In Ephesians three, it says, "By which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit." to his holy apostles and prophets. What's this mystery? What What is this? You guys excited? Colossians 1. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. Dot, dot, dot. Are You guys ready for this one? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is. The mystery is going to be revealed to you in that bold lettering right there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now remember what this whole message is about? Location, location, location. What's it called? In Christ. What? The reason you must be in Christ is to gain number 46. 46. The reason you must be in Christ, the capstone, the crowning jewel of the work of God was to reveal the great mystery in and through his saints that was hidden for ages and generations. But it could not be revealed until the house of blood was built. You cannot have the crowning jewel until Jesus died. When he died, he created the avenue the way into him so that he could get in you. God's after your body. It's not just you in Christ, but Christ in you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father so loves the world that he gave his Son The Son so loved the world that He died. He became a house of blood. He became a means and an operation to get you from your dead state to the Father. From your sinful state and your rags, your filth, to the Father, clean. He clothes you in Himself. He takes your stable. And he brings it in the cloak of righteousness, in the house of blood, into the very presence of God where otherwise you would literally be struck dead in an instant. He brings you there. Why does he bring you there? Is it just so that you can be in the presence of God? There's more to it. He brings you there because God has a great purpose for the body of men and women. And it's not that you would be ravaged by sin and controlled by the flesh and operated by the devil. He doesn't just clothe the operation of the devil in the blood of Jesus. He clothes you, forgives you, washes you, cleanses you, purges your conscience, overcomes the devil, circumcises you from the flesh, creates a dwelling place that is made ready, brings you to the Father. Now you are where you must be because you know what the Father has? The Father has... Everything you need to make this body work as it ought to work in this world. And that is what is known in Scripture in the New Testament by two key names. Grace and the Holy Spirit. Same thing. It's the power of God. It's the life of God. It's the very person of God, by the way. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go to be with the Father. And we're like, that is preposterous. Stay here, Jesus. We need you. If I go as an evangelist and I have Jesus next to me, I'm going to be one powerful evangelist. But instead, he leaves to go be with the Father, and he says it's better that he goes. What? It's better that he goes. Why? So that he might send forth all that we need. You see, the Spirit of God dwelled in one man, known as Jesus Christ, who also is God, by the way. But the Holy Spirit dwelled in a man the way the Holy Spirit ought to dwell in a man. He was a man as a man ought to be. He, he demonstrated it. He said, this is how you are supposed to live. Completely dependent upon the Father. Completely dependent upon the Spirit. Whatever they say, I do. I do not have words of my own. I do not have actions of my own. This body is owned and operated by that which dwells within me. I am controlled By something other than myself. Even though he is God. He submitted himself to his manhood. To live out his manhood the way a man ought to live. And that's what righteousness is. As a man ought to be. There is a way prescribed by God how a man ought to live. And Jesus lived it to perfection. He allowed himself to be a man. He humbled himself to be a man. And he lived it out perfectly. With the Holy Spirit within him. Only doing that which the Father was beckoning him to do. And guess what? without, for one moment, removing his godness. He did it. Even though he didn't function in the fullness of his godness. He limited himself, humbled himself, and was obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. He lived out the life that you ought to live. And you can say, but I can't do it. He's God. The reason he did it so perfectly is, yes, because he was God. And I agree, you can't do it. You aren't God. But who wants to come inside of you? The same one that lived it 2,000 years ago. God isn't interested in clothing your filth. He's interested in clothing your filth, bringing you into the presence of God, washing you clean, and then sticking the very life, holy life of God within you to enable the operation of Christianity to actually work. God's after your body. It's not just you in Christ, but Christ in you. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom? In Jesus, in Christ, all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. In whom? In Christ, you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. You must be in Christ to have Christ in you. This is the flow, and this is what proper discipleship always leads you to. We have a lot of Christians that are looking for Christ within them, and they aren't in Christ. First, the blood must shield you. You cannot have the holy, consuming, fiery presence of God enter your being without a house of blood to find security in. You cannot enter into the presence of Almighty God without the blood upon your doorpost. First, you must enter into Christ. You must allow Him to prepare this vessel for His Holy Spirit to come in and dwell. Why? Why is God interested in doing this? God's great end game isn't to get you to heaven, God's great end game is what's known in Scripture as the kingdom and the glory. He's interested in revealing who He is. To this universe. It's called the manifold wisdom of God. And for whatever reason, he desires to do it in and through us. We're nothing. And yet he selects us and he says, in and through you. I intend to reveal the manifold wisdom. The glory of almighty God that they would see who I am. How I behave. What words I speak and how I speak them. In and through you. Us. The church of Jesus Christ. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right there is God's end game in and through your body that you would be conformed to the image of his son. You are not that son. You are not God, but you are the dwelling place of God. And when God moves in, you do not become God, you are merely the house of God. Jesus was God, and he was the house of God. You are not Jesus. Just in case you're thinking of building a little commune somewhere after this message. You are a mere lamb. No strength of your own, wholly dependent upon a shepherd. But that shepherd just doesn't provide you protection. He also sticks within you the growl of a lion, the strength and the power of a host. And he says, go little lamb and take down the wolf pack. For as in Adam all die. And so what you're going to see is this concept of in Adam and in Christ. You were born in Adam. He's your clothing. It's called the old man. You know how fathers are called, yeah, my old man? It's not a very respectful way of saying it. However, the Bible somewhat supports it. Adam is the old man, and we are in our father Adam. So our old disposition is what's crippling us. The deeds of the flesh have power. For as in Adam, all die. If you stay in that clothing, you die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, who is the man of dust? Adam. We've all borne that image. The world looks at us and says, "Uh Uh-huh, a human. Oh, yeah, another human. Seen one, you've seen them all. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, brace yourself, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. How? How could that possibly be? I just shared with you how. Get into Christ. You know what the 46th will is? You will know the mystery of God hidden for ages and generations. You will know it. It's the hope of Glory. There's a hope in heaven that the glory of God, the clear visage and view of who he is and all his beauty, his power, and his might would be seen on this earth again. What is that hope? That hope is Christ in the saints of God. And when Christ gets in his saints, the glory of God will be made manifest in this earth. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Who, who does the transforming? The Spirit of the Lord. Oh, who's that? How do we relate to him? I'm supposed to be in Christ, but what, what's this whole thing about the Spirit of the Lord that's doing this work? Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man according to his uh, new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image, Of him who created him. You're being built into a new man. And it's patterned after the image of the one who created you. Cherishing the clothing of life. 66 reasons to give up our lives and to enter into Christ. Okay, this is a long list. all right, And it's a repeat of everything we've already heard. I know I could just say, you know what, let's just skip over it. However, I want you to hear this now with a deeper understanding. Because I went through the blood of Christ in the beginning, but you were still just beginning to understand this concept. But I want you to realize that you cannot get Christ in you unless you get in Christ. And the crowning jewel of all of this is going to be number 66. I, I didn't pick 66. I'm not a big fan of the number 66. However, there's 66 books in the Bible. 66 is sort of an awkward number that's very close to another awkward number. And so it's not necessarily the number I would choose, but that's what it came out to be, okay? Now, I could have fudged it and tried to make it 70 because that's a great God number. But I'm stuck at 66 because I refuse to fudge it, okay? 66 reasons to give up our lives and to enter into Christ. This is my argument to your soul. If you're hanging on for dear life to your life in Adam, the life that you, even though you're a slave in it to sin, but you feel like you're at least in control. I mean, you're in the throne. You're in the driver's seat. I like life like that. I don't want to give up my body to be controlled by the living God. And that's what happens when you enter into Christ. When you enter into Christ, you leave the husk of your old life behind. And you open up your life and you say, God, this body belongs to you. And what does he do with it? He comes in. He takes that body and he makes it function as it ought to function. And now who sits in the throne is not you, but Jesus Christ. He is called the head of the body. He is the head of the body of the church. and He's the head of every individual body. He rules your life and your body this is my argument to you meditate upon these 66 things and I would love for someone in here to give me a palpable reasonable argument of why you would not get into Jesus Christ any argument is not going to work on me so you're probably going to waste your breath anyways I am so utterly convinced of the beauty and the majesty of this life well how could I be so convinced I live in it I love it I'm so happy. Talk me out of it. Talk me into a pile of manure off to the side of the road. You've got to be kidding. I've got Jesus Christ. And I have a number 66 on this list too. All our sin will be atoned for. His blood will prove a propitiation, a just and satisfying offering in our stead. We will be justified. We will be forgiven our every sin. Our sins will be removed from us. We will be cleansed and washed from all our sin. Our consciences will be purged. We will have peace with God. We will be reconciled unto Christ. He will be our righteousness. We will be saved from the wrath to come. The devil will be destroyed and rendered impotent against us. We will overcome the devil. We will be redeemed, eternally redeemed, our very beings purchased by God. We will receive life within eternal life. We will be brought back to life from the dead. We will be sanctified and made holy. We will be spiritually and physically healed. We will have boldness to enter into the holy of holies, the very presence of God. We will be enabled to make our daily, hourly, minute-by-minute home in Christ Jesus. We will bear much fruit. We will be made alive to God. There will be no more condemnation hanging over our lives. We'll be made free from the law of sin and death. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. We will have access to the wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption of God. All the promises of God will be yes and amen to us. Our spiritual lives will be established and anointed. We will be led forth in triumph. He will diffuse through us, through our lives, the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. The veil that shrouds our spiritual sight will be taken away. We will become new creations. All things will become new. The complexities of life will be made simple. We will from henceforth live by the power of God. We will have an astounding liberty to now do that which is right. We will become sons of God. We will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We will be chosen to be holy and without blame. We will obtain an inheritance. We will be made to sit with him in heavenly places. We will be made to know the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. We will have works prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We will be brought intimately near into his very presence and we will have boldness and confidence in our approach into his throne. We will become the very, very temple of the Lord, the very dwelling place of God. We, the Gentiles, will become fellow heirs and partakers of the promises. We will have power to rejoice. We will have a prize set before us of the upward call of God. We will have access into all the fullness of God. We will be clothed in his perfection. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge will be made available to us. We will abound in thanksgiving. We will be made complete. We will be circumcised from the sins of the flesh. We will have the promise of life. We will be given a holy calling. We will be supplied an empowering grace. We will have faith and love. We will have salvation. There will be no more darkness. The love of God will be perfected in us. We will not be ashamed before him at his coming. We will purify ourselves just as he is pure. We will not sin. Anything we ask according to his will, he will hear us. We will know him and we will know his great mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. Oops, truth number 66. Uh, it's, uh, 60, it is 66, okay, just so you know. Truth number 66, the capstone. This is what I replaced. When I said he will show us the mystery of God, we will have it. This is what it originally was. We will be given the Spirit. You know, these are three references to when we are in Christ, this is the result. It says in 1 John 4, 13, we will be given the Spirit. This is a promise. You don't earn the Spirit of God. You enter into Christ. Christ stirs your sentiments and your desires, and you say, God, I can't live like this. He says, take my promise. What's your promise? If you're in me, you have my life. Ask for it. Ask according to my will. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you that Spirit. We will be given the Spirit. We will receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And will be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. By this we know that we abide in Him. This is the verse in 1 John 4, 13. And He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. How do you know that you're abiding in Him? Because He has given us His Spirit. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Baptism. I clarify every time we do a baptism. Baptism, someone going into water and coming out of water, is not what saves you. It is not the great work of salvation. It is symbolic of it. You see, what it means to go underwater and to come back up is very... I mean, you go into a bathtub or into a pool, you go underwater, come back up, that doesn't mean God goes, oh, all done! All done! You see, it's a demonstration and a confession of faith. What this is, is an act of obedience of declaring that which has taken place inside of you in reality, get this, through faith. Baptism is an outward symbol of an internal reality. And so when you enter into Christ, and when you can say, I am in Christ Jesus. There's no barrier, by the way. If you're wondering, well, I want to say it. You know there's no barrier between you and Just getting into Christ. No blockage. No great deed that you have to do before you do. Come in in all your grotesqueness. Because he has cleaning materials. That house of blood is what washes you. You can't wash yourself. You can't present yourself rightly before entering into the house of blood. You enter into the house of blood so that you can present yourself rightly before the Father. Jesus has come. And he came to this earth, and he provided us a means by which we can get to the Father. But we don't enter that means in and through our own righteousness, in and through our own works. We enter through his work. Our confidence is in what he has done, and we know that he did it for us. And so when we can say, I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm in Christ Jesus. My old man, my old Eric is dead in Christ Jesus. 2,000 years ago when he died, my old Eric died. And I'm no longer ruled by old Eric. I'm ruled by Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus was buried, my old behavior was buried. When he rose from the dead, there was newness of life that came to me. And his resurrection is my resurrection. Why? Because I'm in Christ. His life is my life. His resurrection, my resurrection. The same spirit that raised him from the dead now dwells in me. And I'm seated with him in the heavenly place. The place of authority. The position of authority. He has bequeathed to me because I'm in him. And he sits at the position of all authority. All power. And all things are put under his feet. And he has given me that authority. And he says, when you pray in me. In my name. You ask whatsoever you will and it will be done. This is what it means to be in Christ. And so what you'll hear if you come to the baptism. You'll hear students... They're going to make a declaration. And they're going to say, I'm in Christ. They'll say it in their own way. There's no requirement of how you say it, but it's a declaration. My old man is dead. And I'm going to leave that husk behind. This is symbolic of what is left behind. It's buried because water symbolizes cleansing and death and burial. So this is literally a leaving behind of an old man and a rising, a resurrection of a new man in Christ. Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. This is a testimony of testimonies. You know what communion is? Communion is a celebration of what happens next. You are raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus and then what do you say? Body and blood. Jesus Christ, come on in. We first must be in Christ and then communion makes sense. It is not just a remembrance of his death. It is a remembrance of our covenant, our exchanged life with him. You take this body, God. I give you my body, and I receive yours. I give you my life, I receive your life. From this day forward, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You reckon it. Take that cloak and get in it. Allow him to do his work of blood work in you take you to the throne room of grace where you should enter boldly, not because of your own merit, but because of his righteousness. You enter confidently based on his work. You say, Father, I'm here and I need what you have to give me. Please give me your life, the life of the Spirit, because I cannot live Christianity without it. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Death has no more dominion over Jesus. Who are you in? Death has no more dominion over you. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't just believe it. Don't just stand near the plane and say, I believe that that plane died. I believe that that plane can fly. Praise God. I believe that that plane can fly, yes. But I believe that it can carry me. And that I can fly, not in and of myself, but in Him. And I believe that it can break the law of gravity. It can trounce it. It can trump it. I can't. But if I enter into it, that the law of gravity will be trumped within my body by the law that is higher, the law of aerodynamics, or in our case spiritually, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the bare bones gospel for you right there. You want hope? It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. You'll not find it anywhere else. What he did on that cross is everything to you. He built for you a house of blood. He erected it within three days. And he says, come on in. If you don't enter in to this house, when that wrath comes, you will be swallowed up in it. But if you enter in, all of those 66 things we went through Our promises to you and all the promises of God in Christ are yes and in Christ. Amen. Why in the world would anyone not get in? I think that all the time. However, there's a whole host that haven't. Our job is to get beautiful feet. I wish I didn't have my shoes on. I could have wiggled my toes for you. (laughs) How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We have good news to bring. It's not mediocre news. And good is way too small of a word for what we just described. It is absolutely befuddling, extraordinary, amazing, outrageous news. And it's my privilege to give it to you this morning. It's your privilege to reckon it, to take it, and to share it every other morning of your life with your own soul and with everyone around you. This is the singular message of the church, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. All the other messages are great. There's a lot of wonderful things that come out of this. And they're great messages. But this is what it all harkens back to. Jesus, him crucified. You can never deviate from it. You must always go back to it as your north star. Lord Jesus, prepare us for this celebration. And may we celebrate well. Lord, I pray that those that are ready to be baptized would do it with confidence and boldness, with an exclamation of joy in their hearts. That they would forget that it's cold water that they're in. And they would celebrate their God like they've never celebrated Him before. And this great work of the cross would be theirs. May they always look back to this message and cherish it. May this be their message for the rest of their days. We are in Jesus Christ. And our old man is dead. And our old behavior in life, in sin, is buried. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our resurrection. We have newness of life in him. And when he ascended, he brought us with us to the heavenly throne room. Because we are in him, we are now seated in him in heavenly places at the right hand of God Almighty. Not because we deserve to be there, because he does. And he has condescended to bring us along. All we did was believe. And even we needed his grace to even do that. Lord Jesus, we say thank you. Thank you. We love you. We praise you. You are not just one to behold. You are one to enter into. And enjoy for all of eternity. In the precious name. Bravehearted Voices is brought to you by the ministry of Deeper Christian in partnership with Eldersley Discipleship. Our passion is to help you grow spiritually by providing Christ-centered resources, discipleship, and training in the Word of God and the victorious life of Christ. Our agenda is to bring back the stuff of old, the sort of Christianity that is lived out with the gusto of heaven and actually and practically works. For more, visit Bravehearted Voices dot com.